So, uh, like I said, we uh, have just moved down to Texas to start uh, a new position at a new church. And at first, things were fantastic. Uh, we were there surrounded by family, uh, my family, and um, we enjoyed ministering. Uh, you know, actually moving from sort of a church plant to a more established church, things were at a slightly slower pace. And so we felt like we could recuperate a little bit uh, and rest. And um, we would even say, you know, surely this can't last forever. This, this sort of time of rest um, and, and sort of peacefulness. Because uh, just ministering there for the last uh, few months has just been a joy. Um, and But we kind of knew in the back of our heads that Eventually, hard times will come. Uh, we didn't realize just how much that would be the case. Uh, in the last four or five weeks, uh, my church in Texas has just been rocked. Um, we have now had three deaths in our church. We have had a um, major uh, heart attack. We have had... Um, uh, a family member uh, who has, whose parents are in ICU with complications from, from COVID. Our church is hurting. Um, some of them were older, but one of them that just passed away um, after we had uh, landed here on Thursday night at 11.30 p.m. was young was a close friend uh, to to many in the church and it's times like these it's things like this that make you sometimes question um, but it makes you review what you believe and whether you truly believe it what you realize is that Certain things are, are reality, death, suffering, trials. And if you don't have an anchor, if you don't have solid ground, when you get into those trials and those sufferings and those losses, you can lose your footing. You can begin to doubt the goodness of God. And you can lose your way. What we're going to be covering this morning is a foundational doctrine of Christianity. It is something that gives us hope and comfort. And that's the doctrine of justification. I've titled this morning's uh, sermon, Our Only Hope in Life and Death. Um, I teach a systematic theology study on, on Wednesdays, uh, Wednesday nights. And along with our, our study, we also uh, memorize some things. Uh, we memorize what's called a catechism. Some of you uh, may know what a catechism is. Others of you might think, is that a Catholic thing? Um, but really all a catechism is, is just um, teaching. It, it's a teaching tool, uh, and you do it by question and answer. And uh, we've been using uh, Tom Askell's book, uh, Truth and Grace. Um, it, it's extremely helpful for parents. If you want to teach your kids um, biblical truth, it is a great resource to do that. And so we've been memorizing things um, each week. And um, I will read you this first question 
uh, from, from that. It, it comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, slightly uh, a Baptist version of it. But I want you to pay attention because we had memorized this, this um, question and answer uh, before tragedies hit. And we knew that there were good truths in there. But again, we didn't realize until later how helpful and how true these words are. So let me read it for you. The first question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. It's one thing to say those words week by week. It's another thing to believe them and live them. Um, I, I, I told you of um, one of the people in our church who has just passed away. She, um, she was pregnant uh, and... Um, she had uh, diabetic uh, uh, conditions, and she was in the last few days of her pregnancy. Uh, she had uh, also contracted COVID um, like about a week or two before that time. She seemed to be recovering, um, but she wound up um, having a blood clot in the brain hemorrhaging, um, shifted her brain over. She um, had to have an emergency C-section. The baby is, is fine. Um, but now a dear friend of mine um, has lost his wife. Something that he never thought he would have to go through, at least not so early. And we have to think, in the midst of that, what gives us hope? Do we truly understand the realities of this life? That there is death and suffering. And I, I start off in this way because I want us to understand the importance of this doctrine. Because we're here for a season, but reality is more than just this life. Reality extends on for eternity. And that hits you, that truth hits you more when you lose someone very dear to you. So, uh, from what I've been told, Rooted Church is sort of going through a, a, a 2.0, uh, going back over sort of the sort of foundational uh, doctrines of the church, and, uh, and so that way you can get off to a good start here in the next several months. And 
It's my privilege to speak on justification. Some of you may uh, know what justification is. You've had a background where, where you've learned those sorts of words. Others of you might say Justin who. Um, we will start off with a definition and then we'll get into why it is necessary. We'll look at what its basis is and then we'll look at the means of it. And then finally we'll come down to the end and we'll look at Romans 5, 1 through 11 and see the blessings of justification. Oftentimes in Christian circles, we talk about uh, someone being saved, right? Um, or we try to say um, that uh, we, we talk about the gospel. And those are helpful terms, and it's helpful uh, summary term to say that someone got saved, right? It's a helpful summary of, of a truth. When we look at scripture, though, and we talk about the gospel, the scripture reveals that the gospel is more than just a single reality, more than just a single truth. Rather, it's sort of this multifaceted thing. People have likened it to a diamond, where if you look at it in different directions, uh, you see different uh, portions of it. Some have talked about it as a crown with different uh, like diadems and jewels on it. And so if you look at it from this direction, you see one part of it uh, and so forth. And those are helpful because the gospel includes a lot of things in salvation in the gift of salvation. There are a lot of things that happen. So when someone asks for the forgiveness of sins and they trust in Jesus Christ, there is a whole lot that happens that God does for the believer at that moment. And one of those uh, things is justification. So as you look through the scriptures, and you try to piece together what justification is, you'll come to this. And if you are a note taker, uh, feel free to write this down. But justification in the Bible is a legal declaration before God of righteousness. A legal declaration of righteousness before God. It is a legal term. In scripture, you have got uh, a, a sort of a... a, a law court idea and God is the judge and we are the um, the sinners and we now in justification are legally declared as righteous before God um, now something that is important about justification is that it doesn't make you righteous right it doesn't um, when you are saved how many of you have continued to sin after salvation a few of you right um <laughs> So we need to be careful in saying that justification does not make you righteous. It doesn't make you in your experience righteous. But what it does is it is a legal declaration of your status before God. Namely, when God justifies a sinner, they are no longer counted as a sinner, but now they are counted as righteous. And it is a legal declaration. But then we have to ask the question of why is justification necessary? Why do we need it? And I've got two points here for the necessity of justification. The first one is God's holiness. And the second one is our sin. If you go to Psalm 51 through six, please turn there. We realize that God is the righteous judge. God is completely holy. He is devoid of sin. He hates sin, loves righteousness. 
There is no sin in him. There is no shadow of turning within God. He is holy. He has a burning holiness where sinners cannot stand in the presence of God. Psalm 50, 1 through 6, we find that God is the righteous judge. Starting in verse 1, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Throughout scripture, we see that God is a righteous judge. Righteous judges don't take bribes. We call those corrupt judges, and we try to get them fired and put in jail. Corrupt, uh, uh, righteous judges have to punish sin. The second point under the necessity of justification is not only that God is a righteous judge, but also that all people have sinned. All people have sinned and have broken God's law. Turn to Romans 3, 9. And we'll read through 12. Romans 3, 9. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, there's, this is everybody, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If this offends you, it probably means that you need to confess and repent your sins before God. This is supposed to step on our toes. There is no one in this whole earth that is righteous. There is no way that we can earn our way to God. He is a righteous judge. We have broken his laws. If we were just talking about a human court, a human law system, and someone has broken the law, someone has murdered your family or, or something like that, and there is video evidence and all that, and you go to the judge and you say, judge, we have got all this evidence that this criminal has committed this crime, what would you expect that judge to do? You would expect him to pass judgment, to sentence him either to jail or to death. You would want justice to take place. And if justice did not take place, you would say that he was a corrupt judge. The fact of the matter is that God is a righteous judge and we are all sinners. Therefore, if we seek justice in human courts, should we not seek justice in the heavenly courts? We also find a third point under the necessity of justification is not only that God is a righteous judge, that we have all sinned and broken God's law, but also that a righteous judge must punish sin. You don't have to turn there, but Proverbs 17, 15. 
16 says, he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Those who condemn the righteous and those who justify the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. And as people who have broken God's law, we have to begin asking, well, what's the solution? Genesis 18:25 says, "Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just?" Right? God must judge sin. And so we must ask, how then can God not pass judgment on us? How is it possible that God does not pour out his wrath upon us? He has already said, everyone who breaks his law must be punished. To do otherwise is an abomination to the Lord. So how can God then um, hold back his wrath? And this is where we come to the work of Christ. The basis of justification is the work of Christ. So turn to Romans 3, 20 through 26. Because Romans 3, 20 through 26 answers the question of how can God be just and also acquit or justify those who have sinned? Because we've already seen that those who break God's law must be punished and not to punish them is an abomination to the Lord. So Romans 3, 20 through 26 answers the question of how God can be just and the justifier at the same time. How can God legally declare sinners righteous? Start in verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. All right. This is important because otherwise, how can God be righteous? How can he be just? This is how he is demonstrating. This is how it is manifested. It's apart from the law, even though the law and the prophets, right? The old Testament bear witness to God's righteousness. This is the righteousness. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And we'll come back to that point uh, in a little bit. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. And then notice this through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. How can God be just and the justifier, it is because of the work of Christ. It is through the redemption that is in Christ. Because he has put Christ forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation. Uh, it's a big word. And uh, many don't know what this means. Uh, a propitiation, if you were to break it down, is simply a turning away of wrath. Uh, this could be used in pagan circles as well as in Christian circles or Jewish circles. Um, when the pagans, when they would, uh, try to use omens or, or, or sacrifices or human sacrifices or anything like that, they would try to appease or turn away the wrath of their gods. In the Jewish, uh, old Testament system, God provided a way 
of propitiation. He provided a way where his wrath could be turned away for a season. And it was the sacrifices. But what we find in the new Testament is that Jesus Christ is the eternal propitiation that in the old Testament, they had to come year by year, always providing sacrifices. But in Christ, this is the final one, the final sacrifice. And we find that he is put forward as a propitiation by his blood, namely by Christ's death. The wrath of God is turned away from the sinner. The situation is right. As we've already said, we're sinners. We've broken God's law. We stand under just judgment by the righteous judge. He is just to pour out his wrath upon sinners. He is perfectly just to do so. But by the death of Christ, that wrath gets turned away. It gets put upon Christ rather than you and I. It is by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Your sins were put to Christ's account when he was on that cross. He received the just punishment for your sins, not his own. If you go to second Corinthians five 21, it says that Christ became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God at the cross. He receives the punishment for your sins. We receive the rewards of his obedience. We receive the righteousness of God. Romans five, nine says we have now been justified by his blood. It is the death of Christ. It is the entire work of Christ that gives us justification because of the work of Christ. Now we can stand before God completely acquitted, completely righteous before God because of what Christ has done. And now the question then becomes, how do we receive this justification? How can we receive this blessing? The scripture is very clear that this is by faith. Other systems of religion will say that you have to earn your way to God. Or perhaps that you can become righteous by good works. Perhaps your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds. This is not the picture in the Bible. The picture... The, the Bible paints the picture that you and I are sinners and that's what we do. We're not going to do otherwise unless God intervenes. And so there's no way that we can work our way to righteousness. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's justification, but we realize that it is a gift by grace and that it comes through faith. It comes through simply believing what Christ has done on your behalf. This is going to be true in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, you have the figure of Abraham, whom we all know and we've sung songs about. But even Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, we read, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. God had just given a covenant to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land, seed and blessing. And we read that Abraham believed God and God then counted that faith as righteousness. It wasn't something that Abraham did. It was simply him trusting in the revelation of God, trusting in what God had said. And that faith was counted as righteousness. If you go to Galatians 2.16, our, our Sunday school um, back in Texas, we've been going through the book of Galatians and our Sunday school teacher has been um, uh, reviewing this verse uh, every week and each time he takes out some of the letters so that way uh, when we recite it, we try to memorize it. I'm going to read it for you because whenever I get up here, I never seem to be able to uh, remember anything that I've memorized. But um, Galatians 2.16 we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You think he's being slightly redundant? Three times he says works can't do it. Three times you have to have faith. If there is anyone here who thinks that they're doing all right before God because of your, your actions, your behaviors, you've got another thing coming. God says works can't do it. It must be faith. You have to come to the end of yourself. Now, justification is a huge topic, and if you go to... Um, People have written whole books on justification, uh, and we would not be able to exhaust everything about justification uh, within half an hour or so. But just to recap real quickly, the definition of justification is a legal declaration of righteousness before God. The truth of the matter is that you and I are devoid of righteousness. We are all sinners. The necessity of justification then is God's holiness and our sin. God is a righteous judge. He must punish sin. We are sinners. Therefore, we must be punished. To do otherwise is an abomination. But we have the basis then why justification can take place. It's because of the work of Christ, what he has done on the cross. He took the righteous judgment that should have been on us. He took that upon himself. He took the sins upon himself. He was counted. Uh, he was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Because of the work of Christ, we then receive God's righteousness as a status, as a legal declaration. God, the judge says, you are innocent. And not only innocent, but you have righteousness before him. And we saw that the means of justification is faith. You can't earn this. You must simply believe in the work of Christ. And this gets to our pride. This gets to our pride because we often think that we can 
work our way up. And now what I want to do is turn your attention now to the blessings of justification. And for this, I want you to turn to Romans 5, our passage for this morning. We will not do a full exposition of, of Romans 5, 1 through 11. But turn there with me. He starts off in verse one saying, therefore, having been justified by faith. So he has just argued that you are justified by faith, not by works. And now what he's going to turn then and say is now that we've got that down, what are the blessings of this? What are the implications of justification? And my question for you is going to be, are you, I never said it, key word, justification. Just remembered, you've still got some time. Justification, justification, justification. There you go, you've got at least three. Um, that should count. Um, now that he's talked about justification, now he's going to look at the piece of it. And my question for you is going to be, do you live in the comfort of justification? Is God's justification of you a reality in your life? And can you say, I experienced these things in Romans 5, 1 through 11? The first blessing of justification that we see is peace. We have peace with God. Notice verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. The Bible says that before we were saved, we were at enmity with God. We were haters of God. And you might think that really wasn't my situation, but the scripture has a different opinion. And it trumps yours. But we have peace with God. We were at enmity, but now we have peace. The second blessing of justification is access into God's grace. Access into God's grace. Notice verse 2a. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access into God's grace. And this is a blessed state. We want to be in a state of God's grace because we aren't going to earn much. We don't want what's fair. The third blessing of justification is confidence in the hope of God's glory. Verse 2b. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. There's going to be uh, three times um, in this passage where he uses the word exult. Um, in, in the Greek, the, the word is actually boast. It speaks of a confidence. Um, it can be a sinful boasting at times. The, word, the Bible can use this word as a sinful boasting if you're boasting in the wrong things, right? If you're boasting in your own strength, if you're boasting in your own might, your own wisdom, your own riches, that's a bad thing. But if you are boasting in God and in his strength, then it is a good thing. But this is a confident boasting in God, we boast, we have confidence in the hope 
of the glory of God. My question is, do you boast in the glory of God? Do you long for the revelation of God's glory? Or are you content with building up your own glory? We have confidence in the hope of God's glory. And so that is going to be a future revelation. We are longing to see God's glory finally revealed at the end of time. But notice that we also have confidence or boasting in our sufferings because it produces hope. Notice verses three through four. It uses that same word of boasting in three through four. And not only this, but we also boast, exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance and perseverance, proving character and proving character, hope and hope does not disappoint. What you have here in verses two through four is you have confidence of boasting in the future revelation of God's glory, but then you also have a confidence in a boasting even in the midst of trials and sufferings here and now. Does the Christianity that you subscribe to give you a boasting in the future revelation of God's glory? And does it give you a boasting, a confidence in the trials in the sufferings of the present age. True justification does. The fifth blessing of justification that we see in this passage is Roman uh, is verses five through eight. And this is the love of God. What a blessed passage. If you have if you are wanting to memorize scripture, begin with this passage, Romans 5, 5 through 8. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And notice in verse 6, what's that first word? Someone shouted out. Four. Right. Whenever you see a four, especially at the beginning of a sentence, you got to look back. Right. It's giving some kind of support for what uh, he's just said. How do we know that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts? It's because of what he's about to say. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Before Christ, you were helpless in your sins. What does Ephesians 2 say? You were dead in your sins and your trespasses in which you once walked. You were dead. That's pretty helpless. And it's when you couldn't do anything at all that Christ stepped in and died for you. You had nothing to do with this. It was all of God. And notice he's going to continue his explanation for why this is important for um, one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. Right. So it's hard enough to find someone who's going to die for, for someone who, who's righteous. Right. But maybe uh, maybe if they're, if they're a good person, you can you can find someone. But then notice the contrast in verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love. This is not the love like uh, stated right above. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, while you were in the pits of sin, 
Christ died for you. This is how we know that the love of God has been demonstrated to us. It is because you couldn't do anything, and yet God, in his love, in his mercy, made you alive with Christ. He died for you. The final blessing of justification that we see in this passage is certainty of future deliverance, verses 9 through 11. Certainty or confidence boasting in future deliverance much more than having now been justified by his blood. So he's going from lesser to greater. If you've been justified, then these things are surely true for while we were sorry, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. If you have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ because of his blood, his work, there is no place for wrath for you ever to come against you. We will certainly be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Now that you're now that you have been reconciled, he's going to save you even more. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast, we exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In justification, we are declared righteous before God on the basis of Jesus Christ. We cannot earn this. It is God's gift by grace through faith. You must come to the end of yourself. You must believe that you can do nothing before God and simply accept the provision that God has granted to us in Christ. And if you do so, God pours out more and more grace upon you as we've seen all these blessings that come from justification in verses 1 through 11. Peace with God, access into his grace, confidence in the hope of God's glory, confidence in our sufferings here and now because it produces a hope in us. We have the love of God poured out upon us and we have a certainty of future deliverance. These are the blessings of justification. And so as you walk through this life, do you have hope? Do you have comfort in life and in death? Um, when Helen, that was the girl I was talking about earlier, when she um, had her emergency C-section and uh, had, had gone into to a coma and uh, was uh, intubated with um, a ventilator and all of that, we called together a uh, prayer meeting. And I, I don't know, 30, 30, 40 of us, I don't know, uh, were praying together for, for Helen, for, for Caleb, um, her husband, and uh, all of their family. And um, after we prayed, we sang a song. Someone started singing um, and led us in a song uh, an, an old hymn called in times like these. And I wanted to read for you just 
couple uh, lines here. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Goes into the chorus. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus. The only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This life is more than uh, a nine to five job. It's more than just um, getting a paycheck, having a house and family. There are hard realities in life. Reality is more than just these 80 years or so that we live on this earth. We can distract ourselves into thinking that this is all it is. Reality is much bigger. You have an anchor that holds and grips the solid rock. Not just in this life, but in the life to come. When trials and sufferings, losses come into your life, will you grow embittered against God for letting things happen to you? Or will you flee to him for refuge and trust since he has justified you by his grace in Jesus Christ? You have an anchor, both in this life and the one to come. Be very sure. The song ends and it switches it. Before it's telling someone else in times like these, you need a savior. The hymn writer turns and says, in times like these, I have a savior. In times like these, I have an anchor. I'm very sure. I'm very sure. My anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to look into your word. We thank you for the grace that you have given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you for justifying us, for make, for declaring us righteous before you. When once we were guilty before you, now we stand in your presence, completely righteous because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Father, I pray for those who have not experienced salvation, who have not experienced justification. I pray that they would recognize their unrighteous state, that they stand before a holy and righteous judge as lawbreakers, and that you are good and just to administer justice. But then, Lord, I pray that they would turn to Christ. They would believe in the provision that Christ has provided and that you would justify them. And then Lord, I pray that they would experience all the blessings of justification, both in this life and the one to come. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.